one of the interesting things he he says is you know sometimes you shouldn't ask someone how are you but how are you sleeping that really tells you where they are mentally so i think sleep is such an important thing that no one gets enough of it you know i still don't get enough of it even though i make a conscious effort today we had aditya virvani on the 1947 rise podcast aditya is the promoter and coo of embassy group Embassy Group is one of the 10 largest real estate developers in India. During our conversation, we covered a wide range of topics. How was Aditya's early life? What was his environment like? What shaped him the most while growing up? His time in the US, the experiences and learnings there, evolution of real estate in India, future opportunities, and how is Embassy Group preparing for them? importance of mental health clear thinking what's his day like who is he outside of work and much more now i bring you aditya virvani aditya welcome to the show <laughs> thank you for having me chief man what are those apples behind you <laughs> any relation with tiktok apple yeah It's just random apples, and I see one's upside down. But this is my favorite room. This is my small little office in Bangalore, and uh, it's actually originally a cafeteria. Uh-huh. And you know, after COVID, you know, we're, firstly we're in the business of selling office space. So the whole COVID disruption was quite funny for us because we found initially working from home really productive and kind of scratching our head about our business. Uh-huh. but i think 2 months 3 months in we realized how unsustainable it is and how important the need for office is actually yeah and what changes when we came back we you know we had one corporate office which is an embassy golf links which is like if you know bangalore and you know the traffic it's like an hour away maybe 5 kilometers but still an hour away uh-huh. and i would go to office every day but i would dread the drive coming back because you want to beat the traffic you want to leave on time and you know want to be home for dinner and after a long day that's your kind of peace that you have and i started working from this small office that we have which is more city center in fentry road and i just can't go back so i bring my whole team here i am way more productive i leave 5 minutes before i need to start my day and i can leave any time whether it's 8:30 9 whenever and be home in 5 minutes so um these apples are special to me because this is my new office you know for the last 2 years <laughs> story behind it damn uh, and uh, yeah it seems like that's where the action happens uh aditya you know we'll dive right into it uh you know typically you know we are a product of our environment right uh would love for you to talk about your environment growing up and what shaped you the most okay so i have to say you know i'm very fortunate to grow up in the environment that i did uh grew up in bangalore grew up in a very close family uh spend a lot of time horse riding you know that's that's the family passion we have a riding school so we have over 100 horses on the balance sheet which is something i can't explain when i do our corporate presentation but that is the reality and um those are the memories that i think of when i think of my childhood is spending a lot of time with my brothers spending a lot of time with my dad and mom they eventually got divorced which 
takes an effect on any child. But I think if I look back, I wouldn't change anything because they both added such different and good qualities to me. But spent a lot of time with each of them. Went to school in India for the most part. Went to the UK for a little bit uh, for boarding school there. So I was a naughty kid. You know, my mom and dad shipped me off to the middle of nowhere in Scotland in a school called Gordonston, which is you know like really far up north, four um, hundred miles off the Arctic Circle. So, but it was an amazing experience for me and. Um, and then post that went to university in the US and i think you know i went to i went to seven different schools in eight years okay so that's how naughty i was growing up mm-hmm. um just to give you a sense how how painful i i was to my parents but i think what it really did was shape me out to experience so many different cultures. I remember the first time I went to boarding school, you know, I was 16. Uh, you go to the school, you're filled with all international kids, a lot of British kids, different culture. And I spent a few nights in my little boarding room, boarding house room, crying, you know, missing your family, just totally lost. You don't know who to talk to. It's tough, right? You know, eventually that ended up being the best few years of my life but it it starts off being really tough and you have to get through that adversity to actually enjoy it and meeting different people you meet people from privileged backgrounds you meet people from you know more humble backgrounds and you meet all sorts of cultures that are different to what you've grown up with and I think that's what's really shaped me is you know how to network with people, how to break ice with people, how to have a comfortable conversation. I think that's what life is all about is, you know, connection and, you know, being nice to people, but also wanting to have a conversation and wanting to do something meaningful with them. Mm-hmm. So that to me is really powerful. And I would, you know, try to push my kids out in that same approach. Going to the US was also, you know, totally different. You spend some time there, you know, you meet people also from completely different backgrounds to a boarding school in the UK, which is interesting. And you kind of, you know, your, your eyes really do open up. You see how, you know, some people are, how, you, you actually see how the, the, one of the biggest learnings is how people treat money, you know, and how people look at money in terms of calculating you know, counts of sharing. Some people are more generous, some people are not. And you kind of understand why that happens, you know, what kind of backgrounds they come from. So that to me was probably a big eye opener. Yeah, I think, you know, it shapes you up to for in people development, which I think is the biggest thing in life. You know, you can have a family business, you can be very book smart, but ultimately it's all about how you can work together with people. And that experience of going abroad was so powerful in that sense yeah no uh totally i can relate with this aditya you know i spent some time in the u.s as well and you know my teammates were from 15 different nationalities yeah Uh, and you know the biggest learning for me was you know when you interact with people from different worldviews different cultures it really humbles you down and tells you hey there's no right or wrong it all comes down to where you're coming from and you know back to what you said like it helps you uh, connect with people from all walks of life at a deeper level. Uh, and Aditya, for you, were you forced into real estate or that has been your curiosity since the beginning? Um, okay, so, you know, I wouldn't say forced into it, but 
you know, originally when you're a kid, you want to do all sorts of things. You have ambitions. You don't really know yourself. You don't know the world. You want to do anything you see. You know, at one point I wanted to, I used to love WWE and I wanted to become a wrestler. You know, I wanted to become an actor. I want to do all sorts of things, you know, early on, even a cricketer. But I think as you grow up, you know, you kind of understand your position, you know, what's pragmatic, what's realistic. You start developing and understanding your own skill sets as well. And to me, when I went abroad, you know, I wasn't sure if I would come back and join the family business. I think also I was in an age where you don't fully understand the family business, you know, what exactly is the size of it and, you know, what exactly uh, is the business. And I think when I when I spent time abroad and I started developing more about myself, uh, also, you know, just seeing how my older brother, you know, kind of following in his footsteps a little bit, uh, he did the same thing, studied abroad, came back and uh, joined the business. And, and then you start feeling a sense of missing out. You know, you see your dad and your brother talk about business and you're like, hey, I want to be part of that conversation. Mm-hmm. So I think that's 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 how it shaped me is, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate to have this opportunity. You know, it's a family business that is now, you can say, built by my father Um, you know, he is looking at succession and passing it on. And that's such a big opportunity to continue building on such a solid foundation and what you can do with that versus what you can do, you know, starting scratch where maybe you have your own identity. It's just two different stories. And I feel that adding to the family business legacy, uh, adding my stamp to it is also equally exciting to starting afresh and you know, starting some a new journey by myself. So, yeah, I think I made that decision. Um, also, looking at my brother's footsteps, coming back, um, I did two years of shadow working, which is it's a it's a really special but unique style. You know, especially if you're working with your father, who's you know, he's your father, he's your boss, he's also in my case my best friend because you know when when he and my mother got divorced, you ended up being looking at him more like a, a big brother or, or a friend than than your father you know it's, yeah. it's quite it's quite a, a unique relate relationship we share so i came back spent two years working and i i said let me give it a shot you know let me come back let me give it a shot i just fell in love with the business the style of it the culture that we have in the company you know it stems from him but it's just such an amazing um, position that we're in. We have all the ingredients, the macros on India, on real estate are, are phenomenal. And now there's just no going back. I could not even think of doing my masters or trying, you know, working at another company or starting my own thing. It's just never on my mind. And I wake up so excited and motivated to now grow this business, take it to the next level. So now there's no going back, but maybe early on, I did consider it a little bit, you can say. Either into acting or WWE. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe maybe one day. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, Aditya, you know, seems like you've been, uh, uh, you know, a lot focused on you know, innovation, implementing technology into the company, sustainability, and venturing into other uh, sectors. Maybe you can talk us, you know, through what have been your focus till now and what, what's, what, how are you thinking down the road? 
Okay, so I, I, I wanted to do something different, right? Because what motivates me, what drives me is not money. I'm fortunate to grow up with a lot of that. But what motivates me is my stamp on the business, my recognition. You know, that really drives me. And I'm very ambitious to get to that point um, of, for my own self as well as the company. But, you know, that was something important to me. For that, I was like, huh, how do I do something a little bit different? And that's where my head was early on. The first idea that we're doing now, and I'm quite excited about it, is to do a rented housing play. You know, globally, you see rented housing as the biggest asset class in India, uh, in the world. But in India, it just doesn't exist. You know, it doesn't exist for many different reasons. You know, land cost is too high. We build too big. You know, your your yield you can generate is, is much lower than your cost of capital. You know, so it just, it's a mismatch, but we're wondering how to make it work. And we figured out to build it inside out. We figured out that, you know, it has to end up being a micro unit. So your per square foot yield actually makes sense. And there's a big gap in organizing the PG sector, which is essentially rented housing and doing this at large scale. So that was, you know, one idea and I'll, I'll touch on that later, but you know, I, I, I think I was always trying to find something a bit different to what we're doing. How can we innovate and how can we make money? I, since then, you know, got into the deep of it. You know, my dad has been very generous in passing on responsibility as well and taking on more of the core business side of things, you know, the hardcore, you know, development, which is office resi. And since then I've been more focused on just growing the core business and while I'm doing that, I'm seeing so many flaws in our business. You know, I'm seeing that, that that so many things that we do so well, but there are things that irk me. And, you know, three decades of doing this business and I find, you know, the gaps in terms of how we hand over a residential unit, you know, how we launch a project and how different departments are talking to each other. And I think the style of it is just differently built to what I would like to implement. Mm-hmm. So, you know, for example, the, the business has been super outsourced, you know, in terms of the uh, construction has been completely outsourced. When I joined the business, you know, the scale of what we were doing, four or five million square feet, but we had like eight engineers, you know, hardly anyone. And it was completely outsourced to PMCs. But then, you know, you, you kind of have to compromise on quality, on coordination, on responsibility, because if you're giving so much out to them, you know, who's really talking to the client, who's really handling and, and managing approvals. It, you know, it, it, I found that as a big gap and something that, you know, I've already started changing. And I think we're in a much better and different place today. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, you know, those, those innovations are more operational in nature trying to find where we can improve. I think there's no limit to that. And, um, you know, technology and stuff, of course, you, you cannot not do it. You know, you, you said technology and sustainability. I mean, if you're not able to adapt to what's happening with the world, you know, you're just going to be lagging behind. I think to start with it, you know, just the basic technologies, which is just, you know, SAP, Salesforce, using those technologies well, and quite extensively in itself just brought so much more efficiency. So I, I don't think you have to be ultra innovative and do things, you know, out of the box. I think if you're just using the basic tools pretty well, 
um, you can you can run a pretty efficient shift. And and then of course you know now we're playing with ChatGPT. We're, we're trying to see how we can you know onboard our sales CRM on it. There's so much you can do. I think that's the most interesting and fastest growing technology at least I've seen. You know every week there are different new products coming out on that backbone. Yeah. So definitely have to continue to you know keep an eye on what's out there and see how you can use it. Is it pragmatic? Does it you know cost make sense? And on the sustainability side, you know the pushes from everyone. It's you know it's from tenants, it's from investors. Uh, if you're not providing renewable power, you know no tenant is going to lease with you. This is now the norm. So we set up a solar plant that caters to our portfolio. We want to do more in the process of doing more because we just have more capacity. But that's just one gamut of it. I think you know this evolution on the ESG front is uh, we are in this ESG revolution. I would say, and the push is uh, coming from all sides. So you know, if, as a company, if we're not adapting to that and catering to that, you know, we'll be lost. So those two are big focuses for us. Got it. And how do you keep yourself uh, updated with technology? Reading, man. A lot of like, you know, news apps, uh, social media. As 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 useless as social media can be yeah. at times, when yeah. you go down the rabbit hole, you know, you come across so much that's happening around the world. And just being in touch with that, I, I think you you just gotta keep reading. And and you have a set of I, I'm sure you have your own set of you know five six different apps that you probably open up every day. Um, I'm sure Bloomberg, Wall Street Journal, you know YouTube, Instagram are are, are part of those top ten apps. I think you just gotta uh, keep reading, and it's so interesting. If that interests you, you know I, I it's just like a dopamine rush to open those yeah. apps and see what's happening, right? Yeah. So reading. Man, for me, the biggest dopamine rush these days is freaking Chat GPT. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's wild. It, it's crazy. Uh, and Aditya, let's say you know you were you're you're telling a ten year old uh, about the evolution of real estate in India. Yeah. <laughs> what do you see next, the future in 10, 15, 20 years? Where are we headed to as a sector? And how is, or I'll step back, what are the biggest opportunities? And how is Aditya and Embassy Group positioning them, themselves to you know, stay ahead and capture the opportunity that's ahead of us? Okay, that's an interesting way to put it for a 10-year-old. Um, let me say, you know, it, it, it's changed a lot. And what, what I've seen from my dad, like, you know, I'm, I'm sitting in a building. It's an old embassy building. We own the first floor. The balance is strata sold. When I say strata sold, you know, multiple different investors own it. And that was the style of financing a building and exiting buildings, you know, um, back in the day. Now, you still have that, but that shift to this institutional capital is happening extremely fast, okay? So we did the first private equity deal with Blackstone in 2011 in real estate in India, first mm -hmm. private equity deal in real estate in India. And, you know, since then, we've built out a massive portfolio with them. We've done a REIT. We've given them, you know, partial exit. Eventually, they run closed-end funds and they will exit completely. But you've brought, you know, one of the biggest private equity investors, you, you've delivered for them and their LPs, their partners who, who they raise money from. 
and you've proven that India can be an institutional grade in real estate. So what that's done since is accelerated even more capital coming into India, foreign capital, and looking at either development opportunities, core opportunities, buying real estate, you know, cost of capital has come down. Um, the REITs are just an interesting play in that, you know, we did the first REIT in India. Today you have three, you know, by next month you'll have another REIT potentially. So I think that evolution is real. And, and if anything, that's happening at a fast pace is, you know, the private investors that used to buy real estate, that'll always be there. But mm-hmm. that's going to move institutional, you know, the, the, the large business parks are all being bought by large funds, deep pockets, you know, 1,000 crore plus, you know, $100 million is now small. I'm talking like massive deals. Mm-hmm. And you'll see these private investors move also to a more institutional way of investing through REITs, through, you know, you have a lot of these private REIT setups now. Um, I think, you, you know, you, you, the, you, you let the asset management be handled by a more professional so that is a fundamental shift that's happening. Um, and then if you look at the macros, you know, both on, on office and resi, we're really fueled by a larger thesis of outsourcing. And India continues to be, you know, the place where people want to outsource works, especially in a, you know, rising rate environment, in a cost pressure environment, uh, recessionary scares is only going to fuel India because these large companies in the West um, are growing and they need to continue growing and India is a cheap option for them. Mm-hmm. So you can see real estate India as a play on technology, actually, you know, you, if, if you're taking a bet that technology is growing, you know, real estate in India is going to grow because people need space to work. And then of course people need housing. And that to us is the biggest thesis that's happening in India at a very, very fast space pace. And, you know, just to give you a sense, 150 million people will move from cities, from, from villages into cities by 2030, right? That's a lot of urbanization. Now, if you just take 5% of that, you know, which is seven, 7.5 million people, and you say that just 5% of 150 million people will work in offices. 7.5 million by 100 square foot a person, which is your average you know, space that a person works in, is like 700 million square feet of office space, you know? Yeah. And, and, and today, India, 750 million square feet. So that, you know, you have to double the amount of square footage you have in like seven years. It's crazy. It's it's unbelievable. And and then to add to that, the housing market, right? Like you know, rates have gone up, mortgages are expensive, but we're still seeing record number of sales. So dislocated from the rest of the world, where rates have gone up, mortgages have gone up. You know, housing markets have slumped. Mm-hmm. So India's just in this special space. You know, I think we're so well protected. I think you know our. Our rate hikes are done. I think inflation's really subdued. Uh, It didn't hit us as badly as the West. Uh, Maybe this whole Ukraine war was in a way beneficial for us. I think those macros, you know, coupled together is, you know, just giving us more confidence that residential and office is here for a long, long time. Maybe work from home is one of these funny trends that is is having a bit of a pause on office but long term 
you know, we will take bets that we need to build grade A spaces. Tenants will be there. Demand will be fueled by that growth of technology. And then that derivative, that ancillary effect that will happen on housing, but not just housing, right? You know, that effect happens on everything. Job creation, you know, drives the economy. So consumer spending, other asset classes of real estate, you know, logistics and, and, and warehousing, you know, as consumer spending goes up, as e-commerce grows, you need warehousing space. That whole asset class will develop, which is still quite nascent in India. Data centers, the need to consume data, you know, that's going to grow. Hospitality, you know, schools. So it, it, it's such an amazing story and, and, and we're living in such a special time, especially, you know, our generation in India. Um, so you can capitalize on that in so many different ways. And, you know, for us, we'll stick to our bread and butter, which is office and residential. Yeah, man, I could sense the energy and excitement coming from you. <laughs> uh, you're, I, I, I agree with you. And I think, uh, you know, India is, is the only country with 0% chance of seeing recession. Uh, and what a time uh, to be in India and building it almost in any industry. Uh, and Aditya, with this, you know, my my co-pilot has been uh, bugging me. And he's like, he's freaking restless right now. <laughs> uh, so he's asking, uh, what's your day like? Okay, my day is pretty normal. You know, I wake up at 7 um, usually. Today I woke up a little bit earlier, but I would say 7 is, is, is when my alarm goes off. Get up, get a bit of sunlight, you know, get to the gym, 7.30. I think that the gym is such a important thing to, like, keep you stable. You know, if you're going through tough times as well, just getting that stress out in the morning uh, is so important and just keeping your mind going as well. So, to me, that's really important, you know, getting myself into the gym at 7.30, uh, come back, have a little bit of my downtime, have my breakfast, scroll on my phone a little bit, maybe emails, calls here and there get to the office at 10 and then it's a bit hectic. It's, it's, it's back to back. You're doing different things. You know, I know what, what my priorities are. I think time management has been my biggest learning coming out of COVID is, you know, you just got to manage time and time is the most important currency. Mm -hmm. You know, all this money and all this shit is, is worthless. You know, time is everything. So I, I, I have been more efficient with, with, who I'm meeting and, you know, my calendar and um, just work, work, work and, you know, get home by 8, 8.30, you know, have dinner and, and you go again. But it's it's something I look forward to every day. And, you know, when, when the weekend comes, I can't wait for Monday because I'm actually happiest here. I'm happiest around the people I work with every day, uh, working towards something that really drives you. You know, on the weekends, you kind of feel a bit useless, um, and I'm always having my mind on, Hey, what should I be doing on, or, you know, starting my week as, so I think, I, you know, I don't have, I don't have a very unusual day, the weekends, especially, I love to just have my downtime. You know, I've, st I, I've started liking drinking far less than I used to. Yeah. Um, I actually dread it right now, but you know, maybe Friday night, Saturday night, having a nice dinner, having a nice. Uh, you know, people home, cooking some food, having a few drinks. That to me is the best kind of social uh, energy for me. 
and uh, spending time with my family. You know, I think that that's one thing that you take for granted so much. So I work with my dad so closely, but you know, my mom. Uh, you know, I grew up with her, but you know, since we're in the business, it's tough finding time with her. So a Sunday lunch at her house is something I look forward to a lot. And, and my brothers as well, you know, Karan, who's, who's also in the business, who runs WeWork, who lives in the same apartment complex as me. Having time with him is something I look forward to. And, you know, my younger brother is, is still studying, but I miss that guy, man. He's a lot of fun. And whenever he's in town, I, I enjoy spending time with him. So very, very normal you know, schedule. And I love it. I wouldn't change a thing about it. Man, uh, seems like you're in a good position and um, I'm happy for you. Yeah, I think mentally I'm really in a good place. And uh, I think that has kind of a snowball effect on your work as well. Aditya, is there a lesson uh, that took you the longest to learn? And what's that one lesson? Okay, I think, I think the Probably the thing that comes to my mind is patience, <laughs> patience and, and, and being calm, handling, you know, a, a tough moment with absolute calmness and a clear mindset. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, you know, I'm getting better at it. I, I, I can still improve, but I think that is something that uh, is a big learning for me if I reflect the last one, two years. Because, you know, you go through a little bit of a challenging time, you know, in business or in your personal life. But you realize the only way to get out of it is to be calm, you know, deep breaths, think about it clearly, not have a cluttered mind, not be stressed always and panicking and then tackle each situation. You know, sometimes you can sit back and be like, my God, I have like 10 unsolvable problems. And just that leads to overthinking. And leads to you being really demotivated. Whereas you can, you know, say, okay, let me approach the first problem that's the closest to me. You know, let me be calm. Let me think, you know, how can we solve it? And also be positive in the back of your mind that hey, it will get solved. Even though you don't have a resolution, it will get solved. Mm-hmm. And taking each of those problems one by one, I think that to me is the biggest learning. And what I'm trying to continue to push myself towards is, you know, be positive, take things one by one, be calm, have a clear mind, it will be okay. And, and, and then that, you know, you just kind of wake up and you start your day again, completely, you know, energized, ready to kick today's ass. Mm-hmm. But if you're just like dreading things, and you know, you get into this rut of negativity, you know, I, I can see how people get depressed. It's, it's, it's negative thoughts built up on and on, and you allow yourself to get to that place. Yeah. So I think that to me is, is the biggest learning is, you know, keep your mind free, keep it positive, uh, stay happy. If there's something bugging you, fix it, you know, immediately. Don't let it, you know, don't push it under the rug. So that's something that I've been reflecting on a lot. Got it. And seems like, you know, uh, you are paying attention to, you know, mental, mental health. How, like, is there a philosophy, faith, do you follow or meditation? What's, what's your uh, way towards it? I've been trying meditation recently, actually, funny you ask, just the last two weeks. Yeah. Um, I think it's great, but, you know, I think you got to really commit to it. Yeah. Um, you know, I honestly think, you, you, like, it's these little things, it's, it's sleeping well. You know, I, you know, I, I follow Andrew Huberman and, 
Um, I think one of the one of the interesting things he he says is you know sometimes you shouldn't ask someone how are you but how are you sleeping that really tells you where they are mentally so I think sleep is such an important thing that no one gets enough of it you know I still don't get enough of it even though I make a conscious effort I think that really is something important you know just keeping a healthy you know fitness regime eating clean. It's all these little things that keep you mentally in a good place. Of course, you you know, if there is like a social relationship issue or, you know, a family issue that's on your mind, a work issue, you just got to get it out because, you know, what I was saying about overthinking. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I think, you know, it's these basic, you know, health regimes that really keep your mind in a good place. Mm-hmm. And then, like I was saying, has this really special effect on, on productivity, on your work, on, on how you interact with people, on how likable you are. You know, I think this, this, you know, law of attraction is super real, having that never ending positivity in your head that, you know, you have to focus on something and it will happen. You just, even if, you know, things are going through, not, not, not going as per plan, just have that underlying thought that, this will happen. This is my goal. It will be achieved. Uh, keep being positive. That you know. That's that's what I'd stress on time and time again. Is the mind is so powerful. You just gotta keep yourself focused, um, and you will get there. Somehow you will get there. I don't know how. Everyone has a different goal and a different journey, but I think that's an important thing. I, I know you play tennis very competitively, and you know when you're when you're in that moment and and you start thinking negative you start losing and then it's all downhill from there. But, yeah. you know, if you're able to think positive, you, you can get to where you want to. Yeah, yeah. I think it's it's all in the mind. And I think it's also like I can put it this way. It's you versus your own mind. That's it. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, it's crazy. Uh, and it's funny, you know, how your mind is actually against you. It knows your all your insecurities, weaknesses, and it'll just come right when you don't want that mind to come. To yeah. You. Sometimes you just got to slap yourself and just get on with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. How's the tennis going? Uh, not great. <laughs> it was it was so good during COVID, but I just you know I haven't got the chance, and uh, I haven't played tennis in a while. Yeah, gotcha. Uh, maybe <laughs> at some point, Aditya, you and I will hit some balls. Uh, I would love that. And Aditya, if you could get uh, you know dinner with any three people uh, in the world, dead alive. Who would you yeah. and uh, and why? <laughs> okay, I'd definitely say Andrew Huberman. I've been kind of a bit obsessed by him. I think he has these life hacks that are valuable to any human being, and there are a ton of questions I would like to ask him. Mm-hmm. I would say Andrew Huberman would be one of them. I would put a a boxer next. I, I love boxing. I went boxing this morning, and um, I think it's such an interesting sport because you know it's. It is you against your mind. You know, yes, you are fighting an opponent, but it's really you against your mind. Who wants it more, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And I love their mentality because they don't see the other side. You know, you see the build up to it and you can see how confident they are mm-hmm. and they just don't see the side of losing. And of course, you see them lose and, you know, some of them take it humbly. Some of them react a bit differently. And I find that whole reaction very interesting. So I would say, you know, Tyson Fury, who's, who's one of my favorites, or uh, even Conor McGregor, who is a UFC fighter. 
big personality, you know, yeah. fun guy to have dinner with for sure. Absolutely. And you and both will be balling. I think I think that could be a interesting second guest. And if I have to say a third guest, you know, maybe I'll go more business, more real estate. And I'd I'd say John Gray, who is the CEO of Blackstone. He essentially runs Blackstone. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've I've had the opportunity to meet him a few times. Amazing guy. I mean, started from nothing. You know, is now. Uh, you know, like this second in line on one of the, lar- if not the largest private equity firms. I think he's done the most amount of real estate deals. He is Mr. Real Estate in my eyes. Super charismatic, super humble, super down to earth, super sharp, obviously, for where he is. And I think I could have a lot of engaging conversations more on the business side with John Gray. Yeah. Got it. Uh, and Aditya, you know, of course, we know you as a you know a real estate innovative coming up with very interesting projects uh what do your friends know you for <laughs> maybe something that you know, not many people know about you yeah <laughs> okay so my friends know me for back in the day being extremely naughty starting drinking smoking much earlier than everyone else did some of them i feel are surprised to see me today because you know i've changed in personality and changed my focus you know some of my other friends would say you know he's very immature very inappropriate very you know funny but then when i kind of see the people who i work with and you know not just internal but external i think they see a totally different side of me they see you know a serious he's focused you know he's humble you know he he can be soft spoken so i have a side that you know socially i let loose you know i'll have fun but then i do know that hey when i'm in this work environment you know i have a lot on my shoulder mm-hmm. um you know i have a reputation to keep you know i can't be that person i am socially here of mm-hmm. course you know if i get to know you you, know, you can see both sides but i do have this black and white kind of uh personality with social and work mm-hmm. and i like to keep it like that you know I, i i do i respect my work so much and i respect the position i'm in but also the people i'm privy to you know if i'm meeting you know the blacks on head or you know other banks or you know other developers you know they are they've seasoned individuals respected been in the industry for so long mm-hmm. earned their position you know and i can't act like a spoiled kid or act like a you know immature idiot in front of them you know i have to give them the respect as well mm-hmm. so i think you know there is a a fine balance between that but you know i enjoy having my friends who are more rowdy who are more you know fun to drink with and then i enjoy coming into my sanctuary and having a more professional more little bit more serious you can say uh, mm-hmm. personality yeah i think they're interesting you know how what's your relationship with you know two parts what's your relationship with ego how do you handle it how have you managed to stay you know grounded and humble i managed it just you know this is the way we've grown up credit to my mom you know she's beaten me uh, black and blue <laughs> so so i so i stay this way um but i think it 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 drops off your parents you know you you really grow up in 
you know, I'm fortunate to have uh, my parents. My dad also went through a tough time before he broke through. Mm-hmm. And um, maybe if you, even if you see him today, you know, very similar kind of personality and culture um, to me, my brothers. And, you know, that's just a family thing. So, again, on my mom's side, she, you know, grew up from very humble background, um, you know, still continues to be that way. So, I think ego is a funny thing, right? Like, it, it, I'm not saying, you know, it can't get to you. Of course mm-hmm. it can. Anyone, you know, if you're given the position you know, that that can entail it, uh, you can have an ego and sometimes you let that lose sometimes, but you just got to, you know, you reflect sometimes at the end of the day, I'm like, you know, actually the way I, I treated this person or the way I reacted to this wasn't right. And, you know, I felt a bit heated in the moment, but, you know, it's not right. So you kind of reflect on it, uh, you know, whether it's in the shower or when, you know, right before going to bed, and you just have to then improve and just, you have to recognize your mistakes, right? Whether it's relating to ego or anything, you have to be like, okay, like, you know, I, I shouldn't have done that. I should have kept my cool. I should have walked away. Um, also realizing that these are human mistakes. But um, if you're not improving yourself and not recognizing your mistakes, then you're not learning. So uh, I would I would put ego in one of those mistake buckets uh and, and then it's it's one of those things you, you let it go too much, there's no going back, right? Like I, I've come across some people who are just flying high, you know, they knew money, completely look down at people and it's just pathetic. You you, you don't wanna be one of those guys and you know, it just I maybe they're not reflecting on themselves enough, but uh I'm definitely not like that. Man, love it. Uh Aditya, we could go on and on, man. Uh but Given we are time constrained, I had a lot of fun uh, doing this. And thank you so much, uh, Aditya, for you know taking the time out and coming on the pod. I really, really appreciate it. Thanks, Shiv. Thanks for having me. I look forward to meeting you soon, maybe a game of tennis. But thank you. It was a lot of fun chatting with you.